Hello, this is episode four of Alan's Eyes and Ears, and I'm Professor Alan, your host. In this episode, I'm going to talk about my experiences at the recent Spider-Man in Pop Culture conference at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio, September 29th and 30th of 2023, and henceforth, this event shall be referred to as SpideyCon. So I will talk about my experiences at SpideyCon, the people I met, presentations I heard, and all that, and also what Mrs. Porterbin thought of it all. Now, after that section, after this first section, uh, I'm actually going to do the end of episode stuff. And then from there, we're going to go right into a conversation with one of the organizers of the event. At some point, I guess we'll play a promo. And then the last 17 or 18 minutes of this episode will be an audio version of the presentation that I gave. The one in this episode is one of the practice runs that I did beforehand, and it's actually a little bit longer than the one from the actual conference, as this one ran over by about two to three minutes over the mandatory 15-minute time limit. So... The attendees at the actual conference get the edited version, but here, for the podcast, you get the uh, uh, extended, deleted scenes version, the director's cut of the presentation. Now, my presentation happened well into day two, and we have a decent amount of stuff to talk about leading up to that. So like I said, in this opening segment, I'll talk about what we did in the lead-up to my presentation. And by we, I actually do mean me and the long-suffering Mrs. Quarterman. She came up as my chauffeur, as well as emotional support spouse. The nice thing about being married 36 years is that you can actually convince the Mrs. that an overnight in Bowling Green, Ohio counts as an exciting getaway date weekend. The conference was a Friday and Saturday, uh, but we were close enough, just a touch over a two-hour drive, to go up on the Friday, spend that night, and then come back Saturday evening. Now, that did mean that we missed the opening bits on Friday morning. Looking at the schedule, I wanted to get there for the, the talks, the, the session that started around at 1.15. And we did get to the campus right around that time. The problem was the parking and the fact that Google Maps was confused about the location of the library on the campus. It looked like maybe there were two libraries and the app was confused as to which was which. All I know for sure is that I was confused as to where we were going. So we ended up in a parking lot that, in my defense was really close to the other library, but which was close to a mile away from the correct one. Fortunately, a nice BG staff member pointed us in the general direction of the Jerome Library, a.k.a. the correct library. And the way this was set up in the big conference room at the back of the library was that at the sign-in station, 
They had gift bags, which included a handful of free comics. I like the notion that they just wanted to roll out the red carpet for me personally to make me feel welcome. (laughs) They also had a table in the room with candy and other goodies, stickers and Spidey Halloween masks, things like that. But also a long box of comics that were free to the attendees. And these were standard, you know, cheap bin comics, nothing special. I mean, there was Alpha Flight in there, for crying out loud. And I flipped through on the first day, and I saw a run of six issues that I liked, but I didn't want to be greedy, so I only nabbed three of them that first day. As it happens, they were still there on day two, and so I got them all. Some of these comics from the goodie bag, the swag bag, and the uh, free comics, uh, some of those I read right right away, and some straight into the quarter bin database. So we got there towards the end of that session uh, that I mentioned. I think it was uh, the end of a talk about JJJ. And then there was a Q&A session with that person and one of the hosts of the Let's Read Spider-Man podcast who had presented beforehand. Uh, The room that the conference was in was pretty good-sized. We found a pair of chairs together. And I knew from seeing the program that there would be two folk there who were presenting that I, although never having podcasted with, and to the best of anyone's recollection, never actually speaking to, (laughs) but who I felt I knew from the podcasting world and definitely wanted to, to meet them and say hello. Uh, those are Donovan Morgan Grant and Josh Bertoni, who these days I associate with Stella's World and Batgirl to Oracle, but who I think I first knew from back in the days of the old Amazing Spider-Man Classics podcast, a show from back before this network got going in 2013, It was an excellent show, and like many excellent shows, just too darned short-lived. I think they did about 50 episodes, which, considering the length of some of those episodes, actually is not bad at all. So I knew that they both would be there, recognize them, and during the break between sessions, I went over and, and said hello to Donovan and Josh. And there, someone I was not expecting, another former host of that show, John M. Wilson, of more podcasts over the years than I can list here. So I met him as well, and we all chatted uh, very nice. Now, John's first comment was, so, is M here? Because, you know, I understand that I'm the second most popular podcaster around these parts. (laughs) Uh, So I chatted uh, on on and off with the three of them over the weekend. It was definitely good to to see them all, to uh, meet them all. In terms of the conference, next up was Mark Sumerak, an author who spent some time editing and writing for Spider-Man and other Marvel titles. He did a great talk about his process for writing comics and then also his experience on the other end uh, being an assistant editor and editor. And after his presentation, he stayed around for the rest of the conference, not just even the rest of that day, but uh, Saturday as well, which I thought was very kind, uh, a gracious thing to do. This talk was particularly interesting for Valerie, as it was more big picture, 
about creativity and production as opposed to really picky Spider-Man details. Uh, he was also uh, pretty funny as well. And then after that was one of my favorite talks, and probably definitely Valerie's number one favorite talk. And I should remind you that I am including the talk given the next day by Valerie's husband. But this one, <laughs> her favorite, was from Dr. Jennifer Swartz Levine about the history of and the tropes inherent in the concept of the girl detective story. She talked about Nancy Drew, Trixie Belden, Veronica Mars, and then a recent version of Gwen Stacy, who fits into that category as well. Again, very excellent uh, presentation. After that, we went to the start of the next panel on visual art, music, and storytelling in Spidey, but we wanted to get checked into our hotel, so I figured that would be a good time. The plan was to rush back for the last session, which had some religious and spiritual content, so of course was interesting to me. But once we got to the hotel, kicked the shoes off, and took a little lie down, I just wasn't going to get back up again. Uh, we did end up getting a quick dinner nearby, and after I ran through my presentation a few more times, we headed to bed. And then after hotel breakfast on Saturday, we got to the library just as the Dean of Libraries for Bowling Green was giving her opening remarks for the day. First session was about villains, battles, and clones. This included one of the really good presentations by a lawyer from North Carolina. And he talked about some of Spider-Man's and other characters as well, their experiences in the courtroom. Both his presentation and his part in the Q&A after were very interesting, again, both to me and Valerie. The keynote before lunch was delivered by a comic store owner from Toledo, talking about the state of the industry and the many, many, many spider products, spider books, and spider goodies that he has, both in his collection and in his shop. They provided us with sandwiches for lunch at the conference, which was a very kind thing to do. After that, Valerie and I sat outside for a little while. It was nice to get into the sun uh, for a bit. And I was getting a little nervous about my presentation. So being outside, being quiet for a bit helped with that as well. Valerie had some phone calls to make, some buddies to catch up with. So I went back in and caught the end of the next session, which included a presentation about Felicia Hardy's evolving sexuality. By the time Valerie came back in, the final keynote was going on, this one by Rick Leonardi, longtime comic book artist, well-known for his run on Spidey 2099. His was a good talk, especially in concert with the fella from the day before, Mark Sumrak. So he got the creative perspective from both an artist's and a writer's perspectives. So I thought that was a good job in the programming having both of those gentlemen speak. And, well, right after that was the session on Spider-Man fandom, collecting, and merchandising, which is the session that I was a part of. I spoke about inflation and its impact on comic prices. A research archivist from there at BGSU talked about her work at the Pop Culture Library 
and showed some slides of the Spider-Man stuff that they had in inventory there. And then Donovan Morgan Grant wrapped up the session discussing recent trends in Spider-Man fandom. All three of those papers were really good, I have to say, and the Q&A session was also very good. John M. Wilson asked a question or two of me, which I think I handled okay. Uh, All three of us were asked a range of questions uh, from the audience, which is actually a good sign for a panel that all of the presenters generated enough interest to generate questions. Valerie and I actually headed back home shortly after that. I was pretty worn out after the presentation. Take some energy. And there was some stress, some worry beforehand. So after thanking the people involved, we headed out shortly thereafter, picked up some dinner on the way back, and ended up back here at the house by about 8 p.m. or so. Not bad. So overall, a good conference, a good event, and a good time. Like I said earlier, I am actually going to like wrap up the episode here, but don't go away. We still have two parts to go in the episode, including the audio of uh, a version of my presentation. It is my hope, my intention, that when this episode comes out, there will also be a narrated slideshow of the presentation. I think I can embed that so it can work on the blog. So if you want to see the slides, including the charts that I talk about and a few comic book panels, you should, fingers crossed, be able to go to relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com and watch that. That is not the video of the Bowling Green presentation. You don't see me. You just see the slides and hear me. It's the same audio that is in the final section of the episode. But if you want to see the slides... That should be available on the show notes, the blog post for the episode. I did want to thank those listeners who expressed support for my presentation, wished me luck beforehand, and support after, and a number who specifically asked if they would be able to hear or see the presentation. And here we are. Thank you for that support. Greatly appreciated. I don't know what the process for feedback for this show in the long run is going to work out to be. But next episode, episode five, will be an all-feedback episode. We may vary the way we do feedback, but the main thing is, for now, if you haven't sent in feedback on any of these first four episodes, including this one, and would like to, we would welcome that. Email can be sent to relativelygeeky at gmail.com. Comments can also be left at the blog post for the episode or the related tweet or Facebook post. As I said, the blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. All are welcome. And as always, take care and thanks for listening. And in this case, let me add, keep listening. And now we're joined by one of the organizers of SpideyCon, a faculty member of Bowling Green's Pop Culture Studies Department. It's Dr. Chuck Coletta. Professor. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Welcome to the Relatively Geeky Network. Great to be here. We will talk a bit about uh, uh, 
about the conference now that it's a, a couple of weeks in your rearview mirror, and maybe you've almost recovered. <laughs> almost. Maybe. I did want to talk a little bit about your background and about the department and Bowling Green and, and all of that. How long have you been on, on the faculty there? I've been teaching in the uh, at uh, BGSU's pop culture department. This is the beginning of my 23rd year. I started in the fall of 2000. I've got you by a year, 1999. Oh. <laughs> or as I tell my students, it was a year that started with a one. That's right. <laughs> which it seems like a millennia ago. It does. But, and of course, now we both are experiencing the students being born after we started our careers there. I've been older than some of my students' parents. I used to be like about 10 years, 12 years older than they were. Now I'm older than their mothers. So There was a time I was the hip young professor on campus, but nope. <laughs> no, me either. Not no more. Not no more. And unless the BGSU website is wrong, that's where you got your PhD from. Right. My background is in um, English literature. I went to John Carroll University in Cleveland. I got my bachelor's and master's there in in English and American Lit. And um, in between that, I went down to Columbus to law school for a year. And after about 10 minutes, I realized I had made the terrible decision. Thought better <laughs> Good. And, uh, and I, um, I heard about the Department of Popular Culture. So if you're interested in getting a, a doctorate in pop culture studies, you have to go through the American Culture Studies program, mm -hmm. which is what I did. From what I could tell, Bowling Green is the only university with a pop culture studies department. Right. Um, other other universities teach this material now, but um, believe it or not, um, it all starts at Bowling Green with a man named Ray Brown, B-R-O-W-N-E. Ray Brown was a folklorist from Alabama who ended up teaching at BGSU back in the 60s. In his English course, I believe the story goes he wanted to teach a Mickey Spillane novel. Mm. Um, and the head of the English department said, absolutely not. That is not literature. Um, and Dr. Brown, he did not come up with the term pop culture, but he definitely popularized it. Yeah. And somehow Amazing. how he did it, I'll never know. He convinced this university and then the state legislature to found this um, department of popular culture. And he defined pop culture as the culture of everyday life. So it's it's all the stuff that we're dealing with on a daily basis. Spider-Man, but could also be, you know, a local band or a local festival. It could be practically anything. And that was something like 50 years ago. Right. It's just, it was in the late 1960s. Okay. Uh, and uh, I think the library was, was founded in 69 and the department in 71, 72, something like that. That's amazing. So you can get a major... Or a minor, it looked like. Right, you can get a major or minor. You can you can write your thesis on, we've had people who've written their theses on comic book characters. There was a, a guy who attended the, the um, Spider-Man conference. He didn't present from the Comic Geek Speak podcast named Adam Murdo. Yes. And he did his thesis on um, DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths is how it ties to folklore and mythology. It's a really interesting thing to read. What was your My, presentation about? What was in it? At least in a, in a broad general sense. It was Italian-Americans in popular culture post-World War II. So we I concentrated on figures like Frank Sinatra and Joe DiMaggio and um, 
Italians as they appeared in television, like the Guido stereotype, you know, right. Vinnie Barbarino and Arthur Fonzarelli and Joey from Friends, things like that. Gotcha. Is uh, TV, is is that some of the classes that you're teaching or sort of what what is in your your teaching rotation? I tend to teach a lot of the intro courses, but right now, for example, I'm teaching a class on the history of television. Right. So where we start, we look at things like soap operas and game shows and the quiz show scandal and the news, you know, um, I always sort of talk about, for example, the highest rated half hour show to this very minute in American television history is a 1964 episode of the Beverly Hillbillies wow. called Giant Jackrabbit, where a kangaroo is mistaken for a giant rabbit and they try and catch it. That's the highest rated show of all time. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm teaching a class on superheroes and popular culture, even as we speak. Oh, terrific. Uh, your description of the history of the, of, of the department makes sense of one of the things that I saw looking through the programs that you do film and music and TV, but also folklore. And that's folklore. Okay. Now that makes sense. Okay. Right. We, we've had classes in the past on folklore and um, things like uh, the Harry Potter phenomenon or the Lord of the Rings books mm -hmm. or uh, sports in popular culture and even things like illness, illness and teen issues. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, it's a very broad canvas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is that what drew you to the study of pop culture other than the fact that it's lots of fun? You know, that was it. I look at this material as similar to studying as I would an English novel or a, or a novel. And it's not as complex or, you know, Beverly Hillbillies' episode is not Shakespeare, but they both were speaking to the common person. Exactly. And we, I often begin my courses by talking about things like Charles Dickens and Shakespeare and operas. That was all popular culture. Um, and it's... Shakespeare wasn't Shakespeare at the time. No, no. A lot of people think, well, you need to have a PhD in English to understand Shakespeare. But I would tell people, give it a shot. You know, listen to it for an hour. Watch, read one of the plays or watch the plays and you'll get it. You might not get every reference. But there's some reason that this material speaks hundreds of years later. For a lot of us in the comic book podcasting world, Bowling Green and the pop culture department came onto our radar screen with the Batman conference, which was spring of 2019. And was that the first big event that y'all hosted? Were the ones prior to that or, you know, that maybe didn't catch our attention? Well, there, we did um, do a comic book popular a comic book conference back in 2007 2008 but that was much smaller in the past though we have had which I have not been involved in conferences based around punk rock and heavy metal uh, they had an electric guitar conference a few years back but the Batman one is in, in most recent years sort of what put us on the map again definitely. Was there one that maybe would have happened in 2020 or 2021 had, had COVID not, not struck? Right. The week we closed down for COVID, we had actually been in the library. The plan was to do something around the broad topic of women in television. Wow. So, you know, right. film and, uh, you know, sitcoms, dramas, soap operas. And we hope to get back to that 
-hmm. one day. We don't want to just have these conferences just be solely comic book based, even though those are great. But we want to sort of cast a wide net and show people all the great things that you can study here. We had a, for example, I forgot to mention, maybe four or five years ago, we had a um, soap opera conference. Okay, really? And we they brought in soap opera authors and fans. And BGSU is the home of the um, Romance Writers of America archive. So we're able to, to present a lot of that material. Right. Programming one of these events must be tough because it's got to be so dependent on the submissions that you receive. Sort of talk about that aspect also figuring out then afterwards how to group the topics together into panels into sessions our, our main goal is to um not be a solely academic conference those are all well and good and a lot of teachers and professors have had to go to those um, over the years but what we'd like to do is include people who might not think of themselves as an expert, but they definitely are. You may be a fan, you may be a collector, you may be someone like Bruce, who we had at the Spider-Man conference, who has such an association with Spider-Man and, and a connection with him personally and that all the materials that he's collected. For the Batman conference, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the man's name at the moment, but there is a company out in Indiana where they make street legal Batmobiles. Um, for very rich men. They, these things go for like $200,000 or more a pop, and you have to be on this years-long waiting list. Um, we had a fellow who runs a collectibles company, and he had the original costumes that Burt Ward and Adam West wore during their test screenings for the Batman. And people were lined up taking their pictures oh, cool. next That's to amazing. these these costumes. And and these are people who have a connection to the to these characters, too. Um, and, and their opinion is just as worthy. So we try and cast a wide net. And then, like you said, it depends on, well, who's who's talking about Spider-Gwen or Miles or religion and Spider-Man and try to uh, um, incorporate them by theme if we can at all. As I will have said earlier in, in the episode, though, you know, the conference, you know, was enjoyable both to myself and to Mrs. Quarterbin, who, who, who came up. So you 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 did spread the net, you know, wide enough you know, beyond academics to really lean into that pop culture. That's good to hear. One of my former students came um, that I had about a year ago. She came to the conference. She was there both days and her mother had driven her. So her poor mother was sitting there in the back. I don't think she ever th thought that much about Spider-Man in her entire life. But, <laughs> but you know, she seemed to be okay as, as she was winding the weekend down. My wife's favorite was Dr. Jennifer Schwartz-Levine's talk about girl detectives. Jenny is is great. I've been at a lot of um, things in the past with her. And as a matter of fact, we're both going to be on a roundtable discussion at the Cleveland Public Library talking about Superman relatively soon. She's a dean at Lake Erie College, and um, but she really knows her stuff. She really is a down-to-earth comic book nerd in the best sense of the word. And, and as you are implying, not every dean knows their stuff. I get no. They I, don't. I see what you're saying there. And I, <laughs> Jennifer's one of the nicest deans I've ever met. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you let in my presentation, so you lowered your standards enough. But no, uh, yours yours was really great. I mean, really. I mean, uh, the way you talked about the the pricing and the, all the financial stuff. But again, that's something that I would have no expertise in, no, no knowledge of, or even where to begin. 
And so that's what these conferences are for. It's it's for the 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 storylines, but there's also lots of other aspects of Spider-Man and comics that many people don't even consider. I do seriously appreciate your open-mindedness in like a business or economics-based uh, presentation. Oh, no, it was great. During the convention, you mentioned more than once that it was a really good crowd. You're pleased with that. Now, a, a few weeks out, you know, what are your overall impressions of the conference, the presentations, the crowd, the keynotes? All of we were generally pleased. I think the Batman conference was a little bit bigger, but that was pre-COVID. I and my co-chairs were, were generally pleased because we really weren't sure if people were going to come back on Saturday. Friday, people are on campus and they're kind of wandering in and out of the library. But we had pretty much a full room all the way through. Um, and so it was it was very gratifying. And the other thing that we try to do is, if at all possible, have no fee to attend or participate in the conference. And you, you probably know how expensive some of these, these things can be. Just to participate, you have to pay hundreds of dollars. And that's cost prohibitive. So if you can get yourself to Bowling Green one way or another, we're, we'll be more than glad to, to uh, have you speak. Give you a chance to credit your team. Because in addition to you, I know Dr. Matt Donahue was there on site, put in a lot of work, but who else deserves? And, and our other main co-chair was a, a young gal named Tyne Lowe, who is one of the archivists at the Brown Popular Culture Library. And she really knows her stuff. She is a um, she has a graphic arts background um, and she designed our posters and she really was invaluable to us this time around. I mentioned this earlier in, in my part of the episode, but however it was decided to have both Mark Sumerak as a writer slash editor and also Rick Leonardi as an artist, I thought that was a great move, being able to hear the perspectives of both a writer and an artist. So however that worked out, it really did well, work it, out. It was sort of by, by chance. Um, Mark Sumerak is a Bowling Green alum. And so I have enlisted him a few times in the past to come to campus. Um, our original keynote speaker, who we nearly had signed, who had agreed to come but fell through at the last minute, was Jim Shooter. At the last minute, he wasn't able to come. And I believe he has some connection to Rick Leonardi's management, or they both have the same agent. Um, and so Rick was, was really great. I had never met him before. Mark Sumerak had never met him before. I believe he came in from California. Mm -hmm. um, and he was he was uh, a great person. Someone came up to me and said, well, isn't he more of an X-Men artist? I said, hey, he's working for Marvel. You know, that's the dream gig. Um, and he gave an interesting perspective, I thought, too. Agreed, especially in, in, in context of having of having heard Mark talk about both the writing perspective and the editing perspective. So between the two, you really got a full a full take on on the creative process. Right. Now not asking for any spoilers or to break any news, but I guess you've talked a little bit about this, but what are some of the types of topics or ideas that could be the subject of future conferences? Because uh, obviously, you know, pop culture is, is more than just comic. We, we were talking about um, perhaps doing a Wonder Woman and Superheroines conference down the road. Um, one of our faculty members is, is very interested in, in Star Trek. The Pop Culture Library has a significant Star Trek collection. Perfect. And um, at just last week, one of the librarians came up to me and said, 
maybe we we should be thinking about like sort of a broader overall topic like mystery where we could bring in mystery writers or mystery films and talk about comics have have there have been mystery comics you could do batman or dick tracy and so maybe that might be the way to go an overarching thing could bring a lot of different kind of groups together what what sort of smaller events does either the the, the department or the library host other than these more big every couple of years if we're lucky conferences we we used to have um, colloquia several times throughout the the year on campus we would either have a faculty member talk about their research or someone connected to something in terms of pop culture and unfortunately we really haven't revived that too much after after covid but the pop culture library is trying to do more so they, I know, for example, last year they had a presentation about Dungeons and Dragons. They have some of the original Dungeons and Dragons material on however that was created. They have, they've had things related to um, soap operas. We did a talk a few years back, uh, myself and one of the librarians, about the history of soap opera. They have a large soap opera script collection. One of the things that's nice about the library, for example, is that you walk down any any row of shelves and there's there's lots of different topics for for example Leonard Nimoy came to the campus back in the 70s um, Norman Lear donated some original scripts from the the entire first season of Good Times we have the all the original wow. scripts and so we hope that we'll be able to to do more mini conferences in the in the years ahead but you know if you have any good idea please let me know I'll be glad to take anything on the session that that I was on had had one of your uh, research archivists there talking about about her work at the Pop Culture Library and some of the things that uh, I guess specifically some of the spider things that they had in inventory. Right, and, and I and I should mention that you know the uh, the Pop Culture Library basically survives on donations. Eighty to ninety percent of the material has been donated, and uh, the librarians won't want me to come back unless I mention that uh, the library is open to the public. Uh, anyone uh, with a valid driver's license, you don't have to be a BGSU student, can come in and look at anything that they have. It's, it's a non-circulating archive, so materials don't leave the, the library, but they have, for example, a near complete run of TV Guide. So if you wanted to see what was on TV, right. you know, in <laughs> September 1st, 1955, uh, you know, they probably have it. So we, we, there's lots of interesting things there and it's well worth the drive if anybody's in the uh, Toledo, Ohio area. In that presentation, it was in, you know, she talked about the difference between an archive and a museum. That was interesting. They, you know, as, as you said, you know, you don't go out and buy stuff to fill in your collection. You really are, are uh, a, a, a recipient. A few years ago, um, during the summer, I happened to pop into the library and there were bags and bags, big hefty garbage bags filled with Mr. Potato Heads. Somebody had hundreds and hundreds of potato heads. So there was a bag just filled with eyes and noses and pipes oh. and little, and they spent about a week putting all of these things together and they can't keep everything, right. but they, they try to keep a selection. And, you know, they have things like postcards, they collect yearbooks, cookbooks, you name it. Uh, one of the things that was really interesting that we're doing this year, for example, is I'm having my students in all my classes go and look at a periodical. So the TV class looks at a TV guide. 
and the um, the intro class looks at an entertainment weekly. Mm -hmm. And many of the students now have never actually read a magazine, a physical magazine. <laughs> and they're looking at these old ones. Oh my God, there were a lot of cigarette ads. Oh, <laughs> and, and, and so it, it's, it's the culture of the day. We used to have people would come um, to look at the Sears catalog. If, the, if someone was making a film or they needed to do a reference, right. you know, everybody in, in the 1970s, I know we had sort of an avocado green um, kitchen set. And so there, there it is in the Sears catalog. Amazing. <laughs> so just what I heard was 2025 cookbook con. I got it. You heard it here first, people. And I had not realized how, how popular cookbooks are. I, I was talking, we mentioned Mark Sumerak. He has a new cookbook coming out. He mentioned um, it's the Star Wars Wookiee cookbook. Right. Um, and that is the biggest area of growth in cookbooks. It's the Princess Bride cookbook, the, the, um, the Office cookbook, you know, the Marvel Universe cookbook. And that's what people are buying now. You and BGSU and your department you got the pulse. You got your finger on the pulse. <laughs> I hope so. Of all of these trends. That's great. I would just say, if anyone is interested in the study of popular culture in any form, you please feel free to uh, contact me if you're looking for, for more information, or you can go to our website. Um, and we are always looking for new scholars. You know, I'm, I'm getting older and older, so somebody has to do this in the future. I didn't have gray hair when I started. Oh, I had hair when we started. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for having and This has been great. And you, you did a great job. And uh, and I'm glad you recorded it for people to listen to it. It was very, very interesting to me. Oh, good. Well, thank you for that. And again, thank you for uh, joining us here today. Getting a good thanks for, I won't say organizing. Thank you for being on the team. Right. That organized uh, such a uh, such a good uh, such a good conference. So certainly appreciate that. Thank you very much. And you and the pop culture department have presences on the social media network, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, is that the best way to keep up with sort of what's going on? We started the Twitter um, um, for, to promote the Batman conference. Um, and I just, nobody else was keeping it going. So I started keeping it going and I'm spending entirely too much time there. But uh, <laughs> you, you can contact us through Twitter or through the, through the Bowling Green uh, University website bgsu.edu that's it and dr pop culture usa on twitter right thanks again for joining us appreciate it thank you you're listening to prairie justice a greg sanders vigilante podcast is an exploration of the dc comics character the first superhero to use the name of the Vigilante. First published in Action Comics 42 in September 1941, Amid Comics' golden age and carried as a continuous feature, during those years the Vigilante was also a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. He was one of the first DC heroes to appear on the cinema screen in his own serial. Reappearing in the Bronze Age, the Vigilante had a 1970s renaissance throughout the DC Universe. Greg Saunders, the Prairie Troubadour, leads a double life as a modern country and western musician while also delivering justice throughout North America as a masked crime fighter, using the tactics and weapons of his rural Wyoming upbringing with his friends Billy Gunn and Stuff Leong. Many a nefarious scheme was foiled with six guns, ingenuity, a motorcycle and a twirling lariat. 
Howdy, I'm Ranger Gord. Help me follow the trail of the vigilante on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Good morning, everybody. I am Professor Middleton, although I am known in some podcasting circles as Professor Allen. I'm in the management department at Ohio University's College of Business. So uh, logistically, uh, physically, I teach out of the Lancaster campus. This is currently my 25th year at the university. And I have to admit that for a number of years in the early 2000s, I was quite jealous. Jealous of my colleagues who were able to slowly include comic books into their curriculum, their classrooms, and also into their academic research agendas. The literature profs and the art departments were probably the first to really seize this opportunity. And then our friends in the social sciences got to play. Psychologists and sociologists found that they could bring their expertise to the study of comics. And eventually, even the philosophers and physicists got into the act. But as a business professor slash comic book fan, I felt left out. I didn't know of anyone who had brought the academic study of business to comic books. How could I do that? Other than the obvious life lessons of a Latverian leader. But other than that, and it wasn't until five or six years ago that I thought that maybe inflation was the topic that could make that work. But like most academics and most podcasters, when you get what you think might be a good idea, that just goes on to the pile of, hey, maybe one day, I'll think about getting around to that idea. So it wasn't until I saw the call for presentations for this conference specifically that I actually began this project. So I do want to thank Bowling Green and the conference for giving me the kick in the pants that I needed to get this going. And what this is, is a study based on that hunch that we have all had, that feeling that the prices for comic books just seem to rise faster than the prices for everything else. You know it's a bad sign when you feel nostalgic for the good old days, when $2.99 was where they were drawing the line. But is that really the case? How exactly does the history of comic book, you know, price increases, cover prices, how does that compare to the history of price increases in the general U.S. economy when looked at over similar time frames? And I also thought that this conference with the focus on Spider-Man was a great opportunity to present these findings 
because Peter is the character whose daily financial struggles I think we can all identify with. Whether it's earning enough money to pay for his bills, and of course, that is even tougher when you're the fees that you can charge for your freelance gig keep getting cut and cut. And no judgment. Peter's not a student of mine. He actually isn't a real-life person to begin with. But let's just say he does not always make the best financial choices. Now, the financial circumstance we are specifically talking about here, of course, is inflation. And there's a good definition of inflation that uses the phrase a collection of goods. Uh, we sometimes use the words uh, market basket, uh, that phrase. Uh, so I'll probably uh, use that uh, terminology uh, as well. And not to be too pedantic, although as a tenured university professor, pedantic is sort of in the job description. I will point out that a sharp increase in the price of one item, just comic books or just gas or just your rent, we shouldn't call that inflation. Inflation indicates a more broad-based, economy-wide sense of price increases. Now, the most common way that we measure and express inflation is the consumer price index, the CPI. This is the rise in retail prices, the stuff that we buy at the grocery store. Again, our rent, clothes and shoes that we purchase, all that stuff. There is also a wholesale measure of inflation, the PPI, that is also uh, discussed at times in terms of measuring the underlying costs within the economy. But in this presentation, we are focusing on the SPI, the Spidey price index, the changing standard cost of a market basket of Spider-Man comics, because like we said, even Spider-Man is impacted by inflation. Do have to disagree with Pete a little bit here. I personally am a fan of the penny. And this is one of my favorite panels on this topic. Spidey is asked whether he really needs to destroy so much city property when he fights. I wonder how much a subway train costs, he's asked. To which he answers, pretty much always more than you think. I love that answer because it strongly implies that this is not the first time he has been faced by this particular scenario. So in this study, I've developed the SPI, which will eventually be expanded into, and I apologize for those of delicate sensibilities, I'm going to use the F word, the floppy price index. You probably remember from math class a long time ago about the mean, the median, and the mode. The mode, 
is probably the least used of these majors. Maybe the one most uh, distantly that you can remember. But that's the measure that I used in developing this index. It's a way of just grabbing the most common, the what you could just sort of call the basic price of a standard issue, not impacted by giant size or anniversary issues, AKA the more expensive issues. So hypothetically, if in one calendar year, the 12 issues of a title had 11 issues that were a dollar and one that was $2.99 because it was a super special anniversary, we would use a dollar in this index, the most common uh, price for a quote unquote standard or normal uh, uh, Spidey comic. Uh, I use, the, these are the sources that I use, the comics.org and the U.S. inflation calculator. I looked at amazing, spectacular, and adjectiveless uh, in the, you know, where those titles were applicable, were published in, in particular months. What uh, follows on the next number of slides are a number of charts, and I will talk through each chart, but just remember as a basic starting point that in each of these charts, the black line represents the standard inflation based on the CPI, while the red line represents the Spidey price index. So for example, 1963. First issue of Amazing Spider-Man cost 12 cents. Let me pause here just for a second and say, one of the other advantages about this conference is it forced me to use 1963 as a starting point. Because in my prior thinking about this topic, I assumed I would start in the golden age. Superman, detective. Shazam. But that's difficult because for the longest time, comics stayed at 10 cents. And you'd think that means that there's no inflation. However, what you got for those 10 cents was every few years, a few fewer pages in your comic. It's the phenomena that colloquially is called shrinkflation. But those first 10 cent comics in the late 30s were on a standard basis, 80 pages. And then over the next decade, decade and a half, 72 and then 64, 52 pages, 40 pages before landing on what has been the standard since the mid 50s, I would say, which is eight sheets of paper between a cover folded and stapled, meaning 32 interior pages. So by starting uh, here in 1963, we are looking at the same basic physical product, a 32 page comic book. So we are just looking at inflation, not shrinkflation. That being said, 
The first issue of Amazing Spider-Man cost 12 cents and based on 60 years of standard inflation in the economy, something that cost 12 cents 60 years ago should now cost 10 times more, which is a lot of inflation. So a 12 cent item should cost, and don't laugh, $1.20 today. And of course, Spider-Man on average sells for $3.99. Now, one thing you should do when you look at a time frame that is this wide is begin to narrow it down a little bit just so you are not, uh, just so you can see really where the changes occurred, how persistent the, those changes were. So in addition to the 60-year time window, I looked at an 80-year, uh, excuse me, 40-year time window starting in 1983. At that point, Spider-Man comics averaged 60 cents and that 40 years of inflation should have put them at approximately, don't laugh, $1.85 today when, of course, they are $3.99. The smallest window that I was comfortable with was 20 years. And if you look back at 2003, comic books were $2.25. Based on the last 20 years of inflation, to be honest, especially the last two and a half, they are creeping upwards to three. 75, but even with that boost from the last few years, they of course are still not at the 399 cost. One interesting thing to note about this is that Spidey comics have been 399 for more than a decade. And we know that many publishers and titles have tested the 499 barrier. They've experimented. With that, so we all know that four ninety nine is probably coming. Uh, but just to summarize, something that cost twelve cents in nineteen sixty three should today cost a dollar twenty. Something that cost sixty cents in nineteen eighty three should cost a dollar eighty five, and something that cost two twenty five twenty years ago should now cost three seventy five. Where of course comics cost three ninety nine, but wink wink. We sense they're probably going to $4.99 soon. So, yes, it does appear that our sneaking suspicions have been confirmed. That comics do seem to increase in price faster than prices in the overall economy. Now, where I'm going with this study is to include other non-spidey books in the calculation. It would be nice to see if maybe Superman could just toss inflation into the sun. Maybe bats can hang inflation upside down from a gargoyle atop a 75-story building and just make it stop. But more seriously, I'm going to compare this what I would call overinflated price increases in comic books with other similar paper and ink products. 
because maybe it's just the cost of those underlying raw materials that really are impacting the price of comic books. So if we compared that to magazines, to newspapers, newly published books, we could get a sense for that. So that's one step where I want to expand the study into. And another would be to compare this uh, comic book inflation to the inflation of other hobbies or in enjoyable activities like movie tickets or sporting events. And I think there is just enough time to uh, give my thank yous and my contact information. So thank you for coming to this presentation. Thank you, Bowling Green State University, for regularly hosting these pop culture events. Thank you, of course, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee for Spider-Man. And it's never a bad time to say hail doom to all of you. And there is my academic and podcasterly contact information. Again, thank you.